0: It's good to be in the Lord's house again this night. I think we'll uh, uh, begin in Matthew chapter 11 again. We'll at least go there and read that, and maybe that will bring to mind, uh, again, some of the things that we addressed yesterday. Uh, These are a couple of good verses here, and um, I think that we should find great encouragement in what Jesus says here. Matthew chapter 11. Beginning in verse 28 through the end of the chapter there, Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So let's pray. Our Father, we're grateful again tonight for the privilege that we have to assemble with your people here, and Lord, we just thank you that we have a sure word of prophecy before us and that, Lord, it can meet the needs of our life. We rejoice in that. I pray, Father, that you would help us to have hearts that are humbled before your word, that we would even, as the scripture says, stand in awe of your word. I pray, Father, that you would uh, minister to us the word of God through your spirit tonight, I just pray, Father, that you would meet the need of each one that's here, Lord. You, you know what's in each of our hearts. Lord, you know what our needs are. And, Lord, very, very likely you even recognize needs that we have that we've yet come to understand. And so, Lord, we just pray that you would minister to us in a way that only you can and that when it's said and done that the Lord Jesus Christ would get the honor and the praise and the glory for it. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. So we're addressing this week preaching this week on the topic of soul rest and uh, we spent some time really all day yesterday kind of just laying a foundation for that and thinking about some broad principles related to that. We spent some time yesterday afternoon in Psalm 77 and uh, that's really one of my favorite passages in the Bible because it really does kind of lay out the path that one walks to get to a place of, of uh, desperation a life that's filled with anxiety and even depression and uh, it's amazing how many of those verses dealt with that and then uh, when he said and this is my infirmity and just in a couple of verses it's like the sun came out and uh, every his whole perspective had changed and everything was being made right again so I think there's some real value in that passage so I believe at this point in the week, we're gonna. I'm, I'm I'm expecting, unless the Lord changes my mind, to spend the next three evenings, counting tonight, so tonight, Tuesday night and Wednesday night, dealing with um, some different characters in the Bible, different people in the Bible and examine a time in their life when they were having soul trouble and what that led them to and what the ultimate result of all of that was and I think that that will be helpful for us. And, you know you could probably go to any character in the Bible that there's any degree of material on and you could find things like this. And uh, so you know when you're reading your Bible and particularly when you're reading the narratives that maybe this will just help you be more attentive to this, this perspective and, and looking at, at the troubles that came into people's lives and the impact that it had on them and then if they got victory how that ultimately occurred and if they didn't why it was that way. So, you know, this whole idea of soul problems, there are a plethora of potential problems for the soul. Problems that will agitate our soul, that will deprive us of the rest that we can have by being yoked with Christ, as he said, in here, said here in Matthew chapter 11. And, you know, I think about all of the things that could potentially plague our soul. And, you know, sometimes, and maybe oftentimes, maybe more times than not, what begins is a slight irritation can actually grow over time into serious depression and even manifest itself in what is commonly referred to in the secular world as emotional problems. And really these are behavior issues that are not the result of any identifiable organic problem. So having ruled out organic causes, that is causes that can be detected by an empirical medical test, all we're left with is a set of behaviors that we identify as being symptoms of something being wrong. And what the call, when the cause is not to be found in the physical part of a man, then it must be in the spiritual part of man, and consequently it's a soul problem. And listen, quite frankly, and I think we need to embrace this if we're going to get help in our lives, there's no temporal treatments that can suffice Spiritual problems. And I think it's important that we recognize that. There are a multitude of circumstances that can develop in life that can occasion, that can give occasion to soul trouble. Remember, the scripture exhorts us in Proverbs chapter 4 keep thy heart, for out of it are the issues of life. You may remember us mentioning that briefly yesterday. The physical world and the spiritual world, often in tandem with one another, create a never-ending source of stimuli. So we have these physical bodies and it's allowed us to engage the world around us And our soul is constantly receiving stimuli from the physical world in which we live. And we have a spirit which enables us to engage with the spiritual world that can be the Holy Spirit and God and it can also be the devil and demons and and we're always and sometimes maybe we perceive it and sometimes maybe we don't but our soul is always receiving stimuli from the spiritual world as well. And it's important to recognize that so That's why the Bible says in Proverbs 4, out of the heart are the issues of life. Our life is not the result of what's happening to us, either from the physical world or the spiritual world. Our lives are a result of what happens in our soul to that stimuli. And it's important to recognize that, because otherwise we've identified it as something that's beyond our control, and not only beyond our control, but even beyond the control of God to be able to do anything about it in our lives individually and personally. So again, my life is determined by what comes out of the soul, and not so much by the stimuli that impacts the soul. So the soul is the important issue in this equation. The state of my soul will determine... The effectiveness with which I am able to deal with the constant flow of things coming in through my, my physical body and, the, and my spirit and the spiritual world. So in this sermon we're going to consider a man who was greatly challenged. It was a challenge that originated in and was initiated by the spiritual world but was manifest in the physical world. And in fact, I'm not so sure when we think about this particular man and how his challenge came to him in life, that it really doesn't establish a pattern for maybe all of the challenges that we face in life to one degree or another. Because of the dialogue involved in this particular narrative, we're given a rare opportunity to see a soul wrestling with difficult issues, and as a result, I think we really stand to be helped. Very much by this sermon. So, tonight we're going to deal with Job and a suffering soul. I think it's no surprise to anyone that has been in church even probably a short time that Job suffered. In fact, the one reference to Job in the New Testament starts with the words, ye have heard of. (laughs) He's mentioned once in the Old Testament. And it begins with, ye he have heard of. And I think that's because the story of Job is so compelling. It's not a narrative that's easy to forget. Unfortunately, the struggles of Job are rarely dealt with in depth. We love the end of chapter 1 and the end of chapter 2. We love, what is it, about chapter 39, 40, 41, 40. Boy, we we love that. We love that. That's good stuff. But what about all those chapters in between? And, you know, as I was thinking about this a couple of years ago, and I began to kind of look at Job a little more carefully and, and really pay attention to the things that were going on in those chapters, I realized we have really... I say we, I'll I'll just take responsibility for it here. In my own preaching and teaching, I have failed to communicate the real value of Job's narrative. Because there's a sense to read the chapters 1 and 2 and the end chapters there and think, man, Job always had it all together. And you know, when I look at that, I'm like, well, wow. Wow. Is he really a man of like passions? Because sometimes we don't have it all together. Sometimes I have questions. Sometimes I want to curse the day I was born. Sometimes I want to complain against my miserable comforters. But somehow somehow I've managed most of my ministry just to kind of not think much about that. And what that does is it kind of puts Job's experience out of reach. And it makes him really out of touch when in fact nothing could be farther from the truth. Unfortunately, the struggle of Job are really dealt with in depth. Thus, we often do not have a completely accurate picture of Job's struggles. So we're going to move beyond those few chapters because the value of the patience of Job is in honestly assessing the depth and nature of his suffering. And, Brother, I'm here to tell you it was serious business. Job found himself in a very low place at a point in his life. Job's was a soul that was troubled to the point of despair, and yet, and yet, even throughout those middle chapters, at the same time, in the midst of all of that despair, he was firmly rooted in his commitment to and his hope in God. And you know, I think about Job's account here, and I, 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 I you know, I have to ask: is there, is there anyone who has not, at times, at some level, had feelings of despair? It's hard to imagine living very long and not feeling that on occasion. And the reason is because life will traumatize us. In fact, you just think about it in a, in a couple of broad areas. Health issues can traumatize people. You know, I've had the good fortune of being healthy most of my life. And and the older I get, the more I don't take that for granted. I've, I just don't get sick very often. I don't have many ailments. I know I had a birthday yesterday, but I'm hoping that'll extend out for a few more years. And, but you know, some people do have health problems. And sometimes they're chronic. And it can traumatize people. Relationship issues can traumatize us. It can be relationships in our families, our extended families. It can be church relationships. And things that unfold in the context of all of those relationships. And we can be traumatized by those things. Financial hardship can traumatize us. You know, those people that grew up in the depression, they're, they're dying off rapidly now. But, you know, those people, that generation was known largely for really scrimping and getting everything out of a penny. And not being wasteful and being very frugal. You want to know why? You stand in a few soup lines... And that'll traumatize you. You'll look at a dollar bill a lot different than you did before. That's worn off in the American culture, by the way, but there was a generation that experienced that. And sometimes people even do today. There are simply a wide variety of difficulties that have the potential to traumatize us. You say... And you might be surprised a little bit that I'm using the word traumatized in light of everything I said yesterday. So let me, let me make sure you understand how I'm using that word. Because when I use this word, when the, to tra- the idea of us being traumatized, these are the things that happen to us that leave us different than we were before. How many of you, and I'm going to ask for a show of hands, because I'll be the first one to raise mine. How many of you have had something occur in your life that left you different than you were before? That means all of you have been traumatized. (laughs) (laughs) And we have, because let's face it, we talked about it yesterday Man born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. Some of that trouble is just the kind of day-to-day trouble and some of it is the kind that alters our life. It can either change it for good or it can change it for bad. But make no mistake about it, when those things happen, we're not left the same. There's no question about that. So that's the way I'm using the word tonight. Maybe, maybe one way to look at it, since we're talking about soul trouble, is it's the kind of things that leave a scar on your soul. And it leaves it a little more sensitive. It's those kind of things that even a general conversation can come up among people and it not actually even have to do with anything that you've experienced, but it gets so close to that that you cringe when the conversation comes up. Right? Right? oh, I hope this don't go there because I don't want to remember that. And all of the emotions come back, right? Come on. All of it's there. And and on those occasions, it's almost just as real as when it happened. Well, that's because we've been traumatized by some things in life. Well, Job has something to teach us because he was traumatized by the events that unfolded in his life. And you know, given how I'm going to deal with this tonight, (coughs) I honestly do not tread through the darkness of Job's words in this sermon for the purpose of degrading him or finding fault. Given the scope of his suffering, I am compelled to stand in admiration of a man who endured. It's not the passing doubt or despair or depression that Job experiences that I find pleasure in, but rather the ultimate triumph of Job that I take pleasure in. Because all of us will have dark days. Sometimes it may be dark weeks and potentially even dark months. No, you'd like to think it wouldn't go that long, but let's just be real, sometimes it does. There's a huge difference, though, between some dark days and even a dark, few dark months. There's a big difference between that and a dark life. Okay? At the end of the day, what we want to be able to do is get past it. Not that we're going to be unscarred by it. Not that we're not going to be traumatized by it. But to, we want to get past it so we can start living life with the new me. With where I'm at now in life. What's, what's happened to me and what God has done in my life. I can go on and be the better person for that. Come on. And so Job will help us with that, I think. You know, it does start. And we have to start here. There's no getting around this. It's Job's trouble. And it's hard for me to read this. I never read it without being moved. It's really unimaginable horror. Notice his distress. Back in Job, you may already be there, I haven't turned there yet. Job chapter 1. In verse 1, the Bible says there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. That man was perfect and upright, one that feared God and eschewed evil. I would just say to you, and this is what heightens the difficulty of this, is that Job was a good and godly man. This was not a man who was living on the fringes of spirituality. This was not a man who didn't daily walk with God. God Himself said that he was a godly man. And you know if we're not careful if we're trying to be godly and we're having some success at that and we're seeking spirituality in our lives if we're not careful that can lead to a sense of entitlement. Like God owes me something because I'm being so faithful to Him. And then if anything comes unraveled come on we're like What's going on? What's the deal with this? So we need to be careful about that. You know, just because we're godly people don't mean that we're not going to be traumatized by life. In fact, probably quite to the contrary. And the trauma will even be more significant oftentimes because of that. Look in verses 8 through 12. <clears throat> Job, this is remarkable insight here. We would never know this kind of thing happens if it weren't for the narrative of Job. Because Job became the focus of a spiritual battle. The Bible says in verse 8, And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. You know, I read that, and and what the image that comes to my mind is the Spanish bullfighters, and they get in the arena with this bull that they've agitated, and he's snarling and huffing and puffing and clawing the ground, and that, that 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 man in the in the arena, he waves a red, a red flag in front of that bull to attract his attention. That's the image that comes to my mind. God's like, look at Job. Look at Job. Look what he says. Verse 9. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast thou not made a hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thy hand now and touch all that he hath and he will curse thee to thy face. Now, I'm just going to go out on a limb here and say, Job is probably not the only person in all of human history that this conversation has happened about or something very similar to it. I'd say it's probably likely there's people sitting in this room that have been the focus of this kind of a conversation. You remember I said we have a spirit and that enables us to engage the spiritual world. Well, we're getting insight into the spiritual world here. And this is about to have a profound impact, a shocking, unexpected impact in Job's life. The Bible says in verse 12, And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power, only upon, him, uh, only upon himself. Put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. You know, the thing about this is we read this, and this gift just, just causes me to shudder on the inside. We read this. All of this has been said, and Job's just going about his business. He has no clue. No clue what's about to happen, but it's surely coming his way. You know, boy, that, that, those are rough things, isn't it? You know, if you if you kind of get a heads up, you know, once in a while somebody will call me and say, hey, uh, preacher, th- you know, this has been said or this has happened and I just wanted to give you a heads up. Praise God for those kind of people. Boy, there's nothing like having a heads up, amen? But unfortunately, in these kind of circumstances, we don't always get a heads up. That might, that might should mean we ought to always keep our head up. Because Job wasn't going to get a heads up about this. It was going to come on him. He better be prepared for it. Verses 13 through 19, Job received four messengers of doom in rapid succession. Look there in verse 13. And there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And there came a messenger unto Job and said the oxen were plowing and the asses feeding beside them and the Sabians fell upon them and took them away yea they have slain the servants with the edge of the sword and I only am escaped alone to tell thee while he was yet speaking there came also another and said the fire of God fallen from heaven and hath burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them and I only am escaped alone to tell thee while he was yet speaking there came also another and said the Chaldeans Made out three bands and fell upon the camels and have carried them away, yea, and slain the servants with the edge of the sword. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, Thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in thy eldest brothers in the in their eldest brother's house. And behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young men, and they are dead. and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. These are bad things that have happened. In the course of less than 24 hours, and it seems like much less than that, maybe six, maybe even less, Job was reduced to practically nothing. And you know, it's not just that God allowed the devil to rain this storm down upon the head of His servant in order to intensify the nature and the bitterness of it. In every one of these calamities, He let one man live to go tell Job about it. And we know that it was happening because the Bible says while he was yet speaking another man ran into the room and said Job and lays out the calamity. And before he even gets through another man comes into the room Job and he lays out the calamity. This is, you know um, quite frankly I've never been through anything like this. This is hard. Job remains the focus of the spiritual battle. Look in chapter 2 and verse 6, 3. Verse 3. And the Lord said unto Satan, As thou considered my servant Job, there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. And still he holdeth fast his integrity, though thou movest me against him to destroy him without cause. God said that. God said that. I've been moved against him to destroy him without cause. Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin. Yea, all that a man hath he will give for his life. But put forth thine hand now and touch his bone and his flesh and he will curse thee to thy face. Talk about health problems. And the Lord said unto Satan, behold, he is in thine hand. But save his life. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore balls, boils from the sole of his foot into his crown and he took a potsherd to scrape himself withal and he sat down among the ashes. So now he's been deprived of his health. So Job even after the first round still remains the focus of a spiritual battle and now Job is suffering physically and in in chapter 2 and verse 9 Job is isolated in his devotion because in verse 9 the Bible says Then said his wife unto him Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. And you know quite frankly people oftentimes kind of rag on Job's wife here but hey, she was one flesh with this guy. Everything that he had experienced, she experienced it. Now her husband was suffering physically in an immeasurable way. And her way out was just curse God and die. Let's be careful about judging too harshly here. So you get this, right? Some serious distress going on. And the thing about it is what we miss a lot of times is that this resulted in Job having great despair. And a number of chapters bear that out in respect to the things that he says. In fact, you'll look at the end of chapter 2 and verse 13. This is after the comforters have come. In fact, (coughs) it always... Is amazing to me in verse 13 when they when they arrived to where Job's at, it says so they sat down with him upon the ground seven days and seven nights, and none spoke a word to him. I think that indicates the state that Job was in, that when these men got here, these men that knew him, they were left speechless. Which would have probably been a good thing if that had stayed that way. But at the outset, they remain they were speechless. And the Bible says, the Bible says in verse 13, uh, Well, at the end of verse 13, none of them spake a word unto him, for they saw that his grief was very great. Well, you can imagine that it was. Job's curse, chapter 3, verse 1. After this, Job opened his mouth and cursed his day. Job spake and said, Let the day perish wherein I was born, and the night in which it was said, There is a man-child conceived." Let that day be darkness. Let not God regard it from above, neither let it shine upon it. Let darkness and the shadow of death stain it. Let a cloud dwell upon it. Let me ask you: Does that sound like a man that's experiencing great victory in his life? He's suffering. He's got some distress in his life. He's looking back and cursing the day that he died, that he was born. In chapter 3 and verse 11, the Bible, Job, again speaking, he says, Why did I, why died I not from the womb? Why did I not give up the ghost when I came out of the belly? In other words, why didn't my mother miscarry me? Why wasn't I stillborn? That would have been better than what I'm facing today. It would have saved me from all of this heartache and trouble. In fact, chapter 3 and verse 20, Job hoped for death. The Bible says, Wherefore is light given to him that is in misery, and life unto the bitter in soul, which long for death, but it cometh not, and dig for it more than hid treasures? He's like, Man, just kill me. Just take me out of my misery. Chapter 6, verse 1, we see Job's desire. But Job answered and said, Oh, that my grief were throughly weighed and my calamity laid in the balances together. For now it would be heavier than the sand of the sea. Therefore my words are swallowed up. So Job was weighed down with grief. He says if his calamities were to be laid in the balance together, it would be heavier than the sand of the sea. Notice in chapter 6, verses 8 and 9. Oh, that I might have my request, and that God would grant me the thing that I long for, even that it would please God to destroy me, that He would let loose His hand and cut me off. Job hoped for death. We don't like to think about that, but he did. Notice Job's weariness in chapter 10. Verse 1, Job says, My soul is weary of life. I will leave my complaint upon myself. I will speak in the bitterness of my soul. I will say unto God, Do not condemn me. Show me wherefore thou contendest with me. If it is good unto thee that thou shouldest oppress and that thou shouldest despise the work of thine hands and shine upon the counsel of the wicked. You know what Job is saying? He's saying, tell me what I've done wrong. But we already know the answer to that because God had already said in chapter 1, you moved me against Him without cause. But you see, He doesn't know that. And the kind of counsel He's getting from His friends, He's... Like, well, maybe, no, no, I'm a righteous man. Well, well, God, contend with me. Where's the problem here? I mean, it's, it can be easy to get there. Job chapter 10, look uh, at verse 4. He says in verse 4, Hast thou eyes of flesh, or seest thou? So Job is asking God these questions. Hast thou eyes of flesh, or seest thou as a man? Are thy days as the days of man? Are thy years as man's days? What what um, that thou inquirest after mine iniquity and searchest after my range? Thou knowest that I am not wicked, and there is none that can deliver out of thine hand. So Job Job comes around and says, God, you know I'm not wicked. But no man can deliver me out of thy hand. So Job, Job here is questioning God. Job chapter 10 and verse 15. Look what he says. If I be wicked, woe unto me. And if I be righteous, yet will I not lift up my head. I am full of confusion. Well, there's a good, th- there's a good thing. In the sense that probably most of us can relate to this, you ever been at a place in your life where you were like full of confusion? Things are things are coming to a place, and things are unfolding, and and it might be it might be uh, very quickly, and you're it just leaves your head spinning. Like what in the world is going on? <laughs> you know, two of my most traumatic events in life, and. I've, I've thought back on this a number of times, and it makes me realize that, yes, that was indeed, sp- that, there was spiritual warfare going on. Two of the most traumatic things that ever happened in my life that sent me into a tailspin and had my world, uh, which way is up, happened on a Sunday morning. Two hours before I was supposed to go preach. You need to pray for your pastor. Because I, I don't know what most people do. I mean, I didn't know what else to do. I just went and taught Sunday school and preached. But my mind was completely somewhere else because I was in a state of confusion. Yep, Job was full of confusion. And of course his comforters. Look in chapter 16, verse 1. Then Job answered and said, I've heard many such things. Miserable comforters are all ye Are ye all. Shall vain words have an end? Or what emboldeneth thee that thou answerest? I also could speak as you do. If your soul were in my soul's stead, I could heap up words against you and shake mine head at you said, so I could do that the way you're talking to me. I could talk to you that way if you were where I am. There's always somebody that's just got to come and kind of push the knife a little deeper and twist it a little bit and just add to your misery. Mm-hmm. Chapter 19, verse 1. and said, How long will you vex my soul and bring me in pieces with earth, talking about his Three, these ten times have ye reproached me. Ye are not ashamed that ye make yourselves strange to me. And be it indeed that I have erred, mine error remaineth with myself. If indeed ye will magnify yourselves against me and plead against me my reproach, know now that God hath overthrown me and hath compassed me with his net. So he's saying, Listen. He said, you're here and you're not being good comforters. You've made yourself strange to me. He said, if I've erred, my error is with me. He really, is telling these guys, why don't you just be quiet? You're not helping matters any. Job's alienation. Look in Job 23, verse 1. Then Job answered and said, even today is my complaint bitter. My stroke is heavier than my groaning. Did you notice that? My stroke His adversity is heavier than my. In other words, it was so severe, there was no groaning sufficient to express it. Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come even to his seat. I would order my calls before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would know the words which he would answer me and understand what he would say unto me. Will he plead against me with his great power? No, but he would put strength in me. So Job actually feels alienated from God. And sometimes we can get there. get in this place and your memory starts to remember different things. I'm going to just kind of go through these. 29-2, Job, Job remembered better days. And Job 29:7 through 9. Job remembered the honor he had enjoyed. Because, you know, Job was one, he'd set his his seat out in, in front of the city. and Men would come to him. In fact, in one place he says, when I spoke, everyone got quiet and they answered not again. Job was held in high esteem. Job was a man that was looked up to. He was a man of wisdom. He was a man that people came to for counsel. And now, now look where I'm at. chapter twenty nine verses eleven through seventeen. job remembered his righteousness. In fact, it might be worth reading that for sure. look in job twenty nine and verse eleven <clears throat> when the ear heard me then it blessed me when the eye saw me it gave witness to me because I delivered the poor that cried and the fatherless and him that had none to help him the blessing of him that was ready to perish came upon me and I caused the widow's heart to sing for joy I put on righteousness and it clothed me my judgment was as a robe and a diadem I was eyes to the blind and feet was I to the lame I was a father to the poor and the cause which I knew not I searched out and I break the jaws of the wicked and pluck the spoil out of his teeth. You see what Job's saying? I've been a good man. In other words, he's saying there's no one that's come in the, in, the, in the circle of my acquaintance that had a need that I didn't meet it. In fact, he even says, I sought out those that had needs to meet them. And of course, the point is, is this is who I am, why me? Because he was using his wealth to good ends. And now he's been deprived of it. You're getting the point, right? So I won't belabor it. But there's more to the story than that, right? Really, my point tonight is, just because there's more to the story, let us not diminish this part of it. Because if we diminish this part of it, the other part doesn't have the impact that it ought to. So let's go back to Job 1. And verse 20. And he had just received these heralds of bad news in quick succession. Job's response to that in verse 20, you're well familiar with this part. And Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head, which means he was in mourning and he was in grief. And fell down upon the ground and worshiped. And said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. So at the very outset of this grief, and this is an important thing to remember, at the very outset of this tragedy, even though it was earth-shaking, he managed to maintain his bearings and conduct himself appropriately. But you know as well as I do we can the initial blow and we can by the grace of God stand up a, but as it wears on because you know the next morning when Job got up he was just as poor as he was the, the, the previous day and the next day when he got up he was just as poor and more importantly than that the day after all of this he got up and all of his children were still dead And the day after that, they were still dead. So it's not like this is something that happens, you weather it for 15 minutes, and it's all sunshine now. These are the kinds of things that you wear. Listen, I got some things in my life I wear every day. Every day. Every day. I don't think there's a day go by that it doesn't cross my mind. You probably have those things too. Yeah, he worshiped God. Well, I'll tell you what, when these kinds of traumatic things come to us, that's always a good place to start. Whatever happens after this and whatever Job says after this, it's always a good thing to start in the right place. Right? It's always good just to set down the anchor and the storm might blow on the surface and it, it might whip your vessel around but at least you got anchored there at the very outset. That's a positive thing. Chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, after the Lord had taken his health from him, the Bible says, uh, well, his wife encourages him to curse God and die, verse 10. But he said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What, shall we receive good at the hand of the Lord, and shall we not receive evil? And all this did not Job sin with his lips. Now, that's still a great question, amen? I mean, it just is. It's a timeless question. It's a great question. You know, I've, I've often... In recent years, I've, I've been rethinking how we use the word blessing. Because there's a sense in which everything is a blessing. We tend to attack, and this, is, this probably says something about our nature. We tend to only call things blessings that make us happy. And cause us to prosper. Wow, I got a $5 raise at work. That's a blessing. Wow, I just moved into a brand new house. What a blessing. Wow, I just got a brand new vehicle. What a blessing. Wow, I just had a baby and it's healthy. What a blessing. Wow, my pay was just cut $2 an hour at work. So what, are we to believe that can't be a blessing? You know, my guess is it probably is, even if we don't realize it. It's hard to read your Bible and not realize that God is doing everything for a purpose. And none none of it is actually to destroy us. Come on. It's always to mature us. Come on. It's always to make us better. In the New Testament we would say it's always to make us more like Jesus. Everything that happens to us is for that purpose and that end and that makes it all a blessing. It's worth thinking about. There was resignation to divine providence here. The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. I'm resigned and willing to accept that. Notice in 23 verses 11 and 12. And this is in the midst of his distress as it's worn on here for some time. And the Bible says in 23, 11, and 12, Job speaking, My foot hath held his steps. His way have I kept and not declined. Neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. I've esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. One of the worst things you can do in the midst of distress is quit spending time in this book. Just keep spending time in the book. In fact, I've been spending a lot of time in Psalm 119 over the last few years. And there are a number of times in Psalm 119 where the psalmist will say something like this. He'll make reference to his adversaries and his enemies and then he'll say, but I meditate in thy statutes, but I keep thy commandments. So in spite of the fact that he's facing all of this adversity, the psalmist in Psalm 119, who I believe was David, David says, but I'm I'm staying glued to the book. I'm keeping my heart on the And you know the amazing thing about this, when I preached through Psalm 119 a couple of years ago, all of this that it says in Psalm 119 about the Bible, the the, the judgments, the statues, the precepts, all of that, and we look at that and say, that's talking about the Word of God. But you've got to remember, David was writing this. How much Bible did he have? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, maybe Joshua, maybe Judges. We know it couldn't have been more than that because 1 Samuel, he appears. So I'm more inclined to believe he had the Pentateuch. He said Leviticus was better to him than riches and silver and gold. Hello. He said, Open mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law in numbers. He had the penitent. Most of us get through Genesis 40, Exodus 12, and then we start to. I'm ministering to a police officer, and the Lord's, de- the Lord's dealing with his heart big time. I mean, like dealing with him about his sin. The last time I was with him, we talked at length about that. And he told me a couple of months ago when I was riding with that shift, he said, Hey, I bought a study Bible, and I'm reading the Bible. I was like, That caught my attention. Well, when I got back with him just recently, he said, hey, I got a question. He said, Leviticus <laughs> is, you know, is there, is, he said, I'm finding that difficult. I said, well, yeah, you do find it difficult. So I just point that out. How many of you find Leviticus trying? <laughs> there actually is a lot of good things in Leviticus. A couple of years ago, I spent the whole year reading Leviticus over and over again. I read it about 14 times. And you do that, and you start having your eyes open and seeing some things. But we, we understand that, right? What I'm saying to you is, David, that's all he had. And Job's saying, man, I'm staying in the book. I'm keeping the commandments. I'm not going to give that up. You might take everything from me, but I'm not going to give this up. And it's, it's an amazing thing that oftentimes that's the first thing people give up. Look in 27, verse 1. Moreover, Job continued his parable and said, As God liveth, who hath taken away my judgment, and the Almighty, who hath vexed my soul. You see that word vexed? We talked about that yesterday in 1 Peter. Lot vexed his soul Remember that? Now the Almighty who hath vexed my soul And while my breath is in me and the Spirit of God is in my nostrils, my lips shall not speak wickedness, nor my tongue utter deceit. God forbid that I should justify you, that is His counselors there, till I die I will not remove mine integrity from me. In other words, He's saying you're accusing me of sin, but God forbid, God forbid that I would remove my integrity from me. You can accuse me of it, but I'm not going to do it. And then in verse 6 he says, My righteousness I hold fast and will not let it go. My heart shall not reproach me so long as I live. In other words, Job was committed to a clear conscience. You know, one thing we've got to be committed to in the distresses of our life is committed to keep doing the right thing. And no matter what anyone else may... You know, sometimes, sometimes you can be committed to doing the right thing And you will draw hostile fire for doing it. But we've got to be committed. Listen, I I learned a long time ago, one of the most important things for me is to be able to go to bed every night, lay my head on my pillow, and know to the best of my knowledge and to the best of my understanding, I did what I should have done. And whatever whatever the fallout from it may have been, that's not, my, that's not in my purview. That's God's doing. But I've got to do what is the right thing. I've got to go to sleep at night. I've got to live with myself. So even in the midst of distress, I've got to maintain a clear conscience. That's what Job was saying he was doing. And of course, what was Job's hope? Here's another well-known passage out of Job. We kind of go from chapter 1 to 2 to chapter 19 to chapter 38, but uh, here it is, 19 and verse 23. These are some great verses. Oh, that my words were now written, oh, that they were printed in a book. And lo and behold, they have been. Amen. Oh, that they were printed in a book. That they were graven with an iron pen and led in the rock forever. It's better than that. Amen? It's inspiration and divine preservation. For I know, listen to what he says, for I know that my Redeemer liveth and that He shall stand at the latter day upon the earth and though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh I shall see God. Amen? Amen? So, you know, even in the midst of all of the confusion of adversity, there's still some things we can know. And one of the greatest of those things is, my Redeemer liveth. Yes, He's alive today. In in the darkness of all of this, and in the adversity of all of this, I have a living Redeemer. And He's going to stand upon the earth in the last day. Amen. That that kind of helps orient us a little bit. Chapter 23 and verse 13. Find Job deferring to God's judgment. Chapter 23, verse 13. But he is in one mind, and who can turn him? And what his soul desireth, even that he doeth. He's talking about God here. (laughs) For he performeth the thing that is appointed for me, and many such things are with him. Therefore I am troubled at his presence, When I consider, I am afraid of him. For God maketh my heart soft, and the Almighty troubleth me. Because I was not cut off before the darkness, neither had he covered the darkness from my face. So in other words, he said, God allowed me to live long enough to go through these challenges. And there's something that's always caught my attention in these verses. And it's this phrase. For God maketh my heart soft. I think that really jumped out at me after I'd been through some pretty serious trials in my life. Trials oftentimes are used to soften us. I mean, it may not seem like it to you, but trust me, I'm a much softer man than I used to be. I don't mean that in the sense of strength. That has not went anywhere. (laughs) I'm talking about just in my spirit. I'm a softer man. And it's only because of affliction. And really what I've learned is I should have been a long time ago. And maybe if I had been... You know, the fact of the matter is, God's going to soften us up. He's going to soften us up. He's committed to doing that one way or the other. God maketh my heart soft. That's a great thing. So, Job's triumph. Well, you know, his triumph began with rebuke. Look, if you will, in Job 38. So let's go to the end, Job 38. <clears throat> Job 38 and verse 1. The Bible says, The Lord answered Job out of the world, went and said, Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up now thy loins like a man, for I will demand of thee, and answer thou me. Where wast thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare if thou hast understanding. So God told Job, you, you gird up your loins like a man, I'm going to demand of thee an answer. Because two times previous to this, in thirty one thirty five, Job said, Behold, my desire is that the Almighty would answer me. In 23-5, Job said, I would know the words which He would answer me and understand what He would say unto me. And what that tells me is God was listening. And at the end of the day, He said, Job, you gird up your loins like a man and answer me this. Better be very careful. Very careful what we expect from God. Like He owes. You know, the reality is is He doesn't even owe us an answer. He doesn't. Chapter 40, verses 1 and 2. Moreover, the Lord answered Job and said... Shall he that contend with the Almighty instruct him? He that reproveth God, let him answer it. Job chapter 40, verses 6 through 14. Then answered the Lord unto Job out of the whirlwind and said, Gird up thy loins now like a man. I will demand of thee and declare unto me. Wilt thou also disannul my judgments? Wilt thou condemn me that thou mayest be righteous? Ouch. Hast thou an arm like God or canst thou thunder with a voice like Him? Deck thyself now with majesty and excellency and array thyself with glory and beauty. Cast abroad the rage of thy wrath and behold every one that is proud and abase him. Look on every one that is proud and bring him low and tread down the wicked in their place. Hide them in the dust together and bind their faces in secret. Then will I also confess unto thee. Then thine own right hand can save thee. In other words, God is saying, when you can do what I can do then I'll owe you an answer but not until then so you know and I mentioned this yesterday and it's important to note this Job here he is in the depths of despair when God finally shows up to talk to Job he doesn't say oh Job it's okay it's okay I know you've had a rough time and I'm sorry all this has happened. And yeah, those friends of yours, they're not very good friends. He said, "Gird up your loins like a man. Yeah. You know, we might say said in the common vernacular, man up. Yeah. I want to be careful here. Because this is the point I'm making. It's not that we shouldn't extend compassion to people and deal with them tenderly. But we must always be honest with them. And we must always call them to account. And we can do that with tenderness and love and compassion. But we must not sacrifice one for the other. God didn't. And notice his response. Chapter 40 and verse 3. The Bible says, Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am vile. What shall I answer thee? I will lay mine hand upon my mouth. Once have I spoken, but I will not answer. Yea, twice, but I will proceed no further. Then look in chapter 42 and verse 1. And Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do everything, that no thought can be withholden from thee. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered that I understood not things too wonderful for me, which I knew not. Here I beseech thee, and I will speak. I will demand of thee, and declare thou unto me. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye see thee, wherefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Listen, I'm about to blow the self-love philosophy to smithereens right here with one verse. Job, when he saw who God was, He said, I abhor myself. And you know the thing about it is, I can know that I am completely accepted in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and also abhor myself. What people want to do is they want to create a dichotomy and say it can't be both. But it is and it should be both. And, of course, in chapter 42, God, in verses 7 through 9, deals with his miserable comforters. And it's sweet irony that he tells those guys, you had not spoken my words like Job did. And who did he send them to to do sacrifice? He so says, you go to Job. We need to be careful about defending ourselves. God is always able to deal with our adversaries. And he always does. He does in his time. Job probably would have liked it to happen in about chapter 10. That's what we want. But that's not necessarily what God wants. God actually used those men to bring out some things in Job that Job needed to be corrected about. And of course, you know the story? God restored multifold all that he had. Okay, so this, this is it. You say, of course Job was okay with it all. Well, my question is, what if God chooses not to do that? Because he doesn't have to. He doesn't have to. We need to ponder that question. You know, a suffering soul can easily lose soul rest. Job did for a time. I don't think there's any way of getting around that. I mean, he was struggling. He was kind of pitched back and forth there. But he was, he was having some problems with his soul rest. And nothing tests spiritual strength of soul like suffering. The suffering is the stimuli. It's the spiritual state of our soul that will determine the response of the soul to the suffering. And when life traumatizes us, friend, we need to be conscious that we're standing in slippery places. And we better prepare ourselves to manage that appropriately in brighter days. You've been very patient tonight. I hope as a reward for that it's been helpful brother dimlo <clears throat>